right, so um, as I stand here, I, I want to just express thanks to all the volunteers who came early to make coffee, to... Uh, to clean that, well, the, was not a volunteer, but Dan Smoker, our building supervisor, made sure that the parking lot was clear. And that was really the issue last week. There was a, um, a miscommunication on the parking lot, and so um, we, w- we would have had services last week except for, for that little glitch in communication. But um, where is uh, Jim Clement? Jim's here somewhere. Jim's a, a, a high, highly committed volunteer who was here early this morning all by himself shoveling the um, sidewalks. So thank you to Jim as well. Yeah, yeah. All right. So I thought it might be good to start with a joke. You deserve a joke this morning. All right, here it is. Uh, there was this man that was um, you know, a fairly successful man, and he had to have some painting done in his house. And, and out of mercy and kindness, he decided to hire someone that had very little experience painting and, and, and just give this young guy a job. So he hired this young guy to paint his living room, and he, um, he showed him everything. And uh, then he had to leave the, leave the house, so he left for a couple hours. And he came back two hours later, and he walked into the room. And here this young guy is painting the uh, living room walls, but he has on two winter parkas, you know, like with hoods and stuff. And it's summertime, and it's hot. And, and the man said, uh, he said, hey, I really just have to ask you, why do you have these two winter parkas on? And this young guy said, I know it doesn't make any sense, but I read the instructions on the can, and it said this works best if you put on two coats. Oh, okay. Okay, one, one more short one. I've told this before, but in light of the winter and everything, you heard about the guy that was looking for a parking place, and he had an appointment he was late for. And he said, Lord, if you get me a good parking place right down front, I will start going to church and I'll tithe every week. And instantly a car right in front of him disappears and there's a space wide open and he turns and sees the space. And as he's pulling into it, he says, never mind, Lord, I found one myself. <laughs> but isn't that the truth, though? That, I mean, that, that's, that's a little too close to home sometimes, I think. I decided years ago. Um, when I was just starting to come into the understanding of the gifts of the Spirit, and, and I came from a cessationist background, which means that I believe the gifts of the Spirit had ended. And so, um, so we never thought there were any gifts of the Spirit or healing or anything like that. But when I started to come into the gifts of the Spirit, I made this decision. If I ask my father for something and it happens, I'm going to thank him for it. You know, I'm not going to say, oh, well, this might have happened anyway or just a coincidence. No, if I ask him for something and it appears, it happens, then I'm going to give him praise for that. I'm going to thank him for it. And I think that's the heart that uh, we all need to have. Now, this morning I had a message prepared and um, I even got my, my PowerPoint slides in on time, which is really rare for me. And I was really happy about that and really proud of myself for, for having that all done. And then yesterday morning, I, I was having some time just reading the Bible and fellowshipping with the Lord. And this passage that I'm going to read to you in a few moments just opened up to me in a new way and a new light. And so I titled the message, Peter, a pretty good guy. And I don't know if you know, if you've heard very many sermons about Peter, I've preached sermons where I've kind of like made fun of Peter. 
You know, Peter is viewed as this guy who was a little bit too loud, that he, um, he didn't have any, any real timing in social situations. And he was kind of braggadocious, you know, kind of a braggart. And, and so he's, he's kind of the whipping boy for a lot of preachers. And, and a, lot of, a lot of preachers have gotten a lot of laughs out of kind of mocking Peter. But as I read this passage, and we're going to read it in a moment. It's the passage where Jesus tells Peter they're all going to uh, fall away. And Peter just promises that he won't. I read that and I thought, you know, Peter was a good guy. And we look at that and we think, oh, what a fool. But this is how I've always looked at it. But I read it and I just thought, Peter had this incredible heart. And he had a credible heart for God. And I think that he was more like the heroes in Lord of the Rings than anything else. Like, uh, like maybe Frodo or Sam or Gimli or one of them who were willing to stand up and say, I'll do whatever it takes. I'll give my life to make this happen. And that's what Peter was doing. We're going to read that now, and then we're going to look through it and see some things I believe that God has for us this morning. It's Mark 14, and we're going to start off reading verses 27 to 31, Mark 14. This is all right after the, the Last Supper, and they've left the upper room now, and, um, and, and here's what Jesus says in verse 27. He said, you will all fall away, Jesus told them. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. It's interesting. He says, you're going to fall away, but I'm going to come back for you. And we're going to meet up in Galilee. And so there's, while there is that statement about their failure, there's also this, this confidence Jesus has that there's a future together. There's hope together. But then Peter declared, even if all fall away, I will not. I tell you the truth, Jesus answered, today, yes, tonight, before the rooster crows twice, you yourself will disown me three times. But Peter insisted emphatically, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the others said the same. So they all followed Peter's lead and they all agreed that none of them would uh, ever, uh, ever fail the Lord, ever deny him. But it's interesting to me, that first of all, Peter makes this bold statement, but he also says, even if all the rest of them fall away, I can see that, Jesus. You know, the other group here, they might all fall away. I won't. And so there's something that's happening here with Peter in this statement he's making that is going to break relationship with Jesus, break faith with Jesus, as well as with the other apostles. Because he just threw them all under the bus. This is like the quarterback after the game criticizing all of his wide receivers and offensive line. We lost the game because of them. And so we're going to see how Jesus actually deals with that and how he restores Peter on, on, on both ends of that. But when Peter insists that he would die with Jesus, he meant it. He really meant it. And he actually put his life on the line when they came to take Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Peter pulled out a sword, and, and it, you, if you know the story, he takes a swing at the servant of the high priest and cuts his ear off. Now, do you think he was thinking, I'm going to cut his ear off? What do you think he was aiming at? He was aiming at his head, probably his neck. That's where you go with the sword. You, you whack someone on the neck, and you hopefully cut deep enough that they just drop over dead. But what was Peter thinking? There were soldiers there. 
Peter was the only one of the apostles that even had a sword. We know that from from what happened earlier in, in the other gospel accounts. And so Peter meant it when he said, I'll die with you. I will die for you. I will do whatever it takes and I'll give my life for you, Jesus. But what Peter missed was the type of death he had to die. The type of death Jesus was asking him to die and it wasn't a physical death with a sword in hand. In in another gospel in Luke, Jesus actually says to Peter, Satan is going to test you. Satan's going to come after you, Peter. And Peter failed to understand the subtlety and the deceptiveness of the enemy. And so he just assumed, okay, here it is. They're the soldiers. They're going to take Jesus. This is where I'm being tested, and I'm going to stand up. I'm going to measure up. And Jesus immediately heals this, uh, this servant's ear and tells Peter, put your sword away. And so the, um, the whole event had such an impact upon Peter that in, in the final outcome of it, as, as we see it all unfold, we're going to see that, that, that Peter does falter. But what happened was this. Satan attacked Peter, not in this frontal attack that Peter was expecting. I mean, he knew Peter was a young man of courage and strength and bravado, and that he would stand up with a sword in hand, and in spite of the fact that there was probably more than a dozen soldiers standing right there, he pulled his sword out and went after it. And so Satan brings Peter to this point. He waits until Peter is experiencing some emotional things that make him more vulnerable. And the attack comes in a way that Peter never anticipated. And so Peter comes away from, from um, this initial word from Jesus. And, 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 he, and he comes to the garden. And what we see happen next in the garden is this. Well, after the garden, they've taken Jesus now and, and he's um, being examined in the high priest's house. And what does Peter do? Peter follows him and goes right into the courtyard. And here's what we read. While Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came by. When she saw Peter warming himself, she looked closely at him. You also were with the, Naz- the Nazarene Jesus, she said. But he denied it. I don't know or understand what you're talking about, he said, and went out into the entryway. When the servant girl saw him there, she said again to those standing around, this fellow is one of them. Again, he denied it. After a little while, those standing near to Peter said, those standing near said to Peter, surely you are one of them for you are a Galilean. He began to call down curses on himself and he swore to them, I don't know this man you're talking about. And immediately the, cock, the, the rooster crowed the second time. Then Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows twice, you will disown me three times. And he broke down and he wept. And so Peter's, as, as he's in this courtyard, he, he's in a state of confusion. Because he never expected this to happen. He never expected Jesus just to go willingly with his captors. And he never expected that, that Jesus would have the power to, to turn, turn them all away and yet refuse to use that power. Because when they, they said, Jesus said, who are you looking for? And they said, we're looking for Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus said the word simply, I am. We had the word he, I am he. 
And when that happened, the power of God swept through that garden and all of those soldiers and all the, all the, all the had come after him all fell down backwards onto the ground. So Peter sees this. And, and so he sees the power Jesus had and why doesn't Jesus run? Why did Jesus tell them earlier, earlier in the night, Jesus was, was telling them about their future after his resurrection, after the Holy Spirit comes. And he said, when I sent you out before to the, to the cities of Israel, I told you not to take money with you or anything else along. And he said, now I tell you, take not only a money bag, but take a sword because you're going to head out into a dangerous world. And so then Peter right away, they say, oh, we have a sword right here. And Jesus, you know what Jesus says? He said, enough, because they totally missed the point. But Peter thought Jesus had said there, you need a sword. And so Peter has his sword, and that's when he whacks off the high priest's servant's ear. And then Jesus says, Peter, put your sword away. And so I can, I can hear the confusion in Peter's mind. Okay, did you want me to bring a sword? Or you, don't, you didn't want me to bring a sword. If you wanted me to bring a sword, which you said earlier, then why can't I use it right now? So Peter's confused. And, and he's, he's kind of lost right now emotionally because of, of all these things that are happening that just didn't make sense to him. And this is the type of time that Satan attacks us when we're confused. When we look around and we see, well, I thought God was going to do this, but he didn't do that. He did this instead. Or I got this prophetic word and I'm sure it was from God and, and yet it didn't happen yet. I mean, there's these times of confusion or when God tells us to do something that, that maybe doesn't make real sense, like march around Jericho seven times and on the seventh day, I'll give you victory. And if you just do this, this is, this is our battle strategy to take this city. We're going to march around the walls of the city and we're going to all blow horns and then we're going to have victory. That makes absolutely no sense, humanly speaking, none whatsoever. And yet... God's wisdom, kingdom wisdom, is whatever God says, do it, okay? Human wisdom says you can't take a city that way. God's wisdom says if God says do it, do it, and you'll see his power released. And so there are times that we, we get instructions like that, and we're just not sure what they mean. You know, sometimes forgiveness doesn't, just doesn't feel right. It, well, it, it very rarely feels right because there's always a justification for me holding on to bitterness. And so we have to look at things from heaven's perspective, and Peter hasn't quite learned that yet. He's looking at everything from an earthly perspective, swords and battles. And because of that, um, it, he, he's, he's subject to temptation right now and to falling. Now, when you're confused, what do you do? What, what's the, like if I get confused, there are times that I will just become obsessively focused on the topic. And, and I can spend hours just trying to figure it out because I'm confused and, and I don't know what to do. And the right thing to do is this. You look to God and ask God to speak to you. He doesn't even have to speak about that topic. Whatever, whatever the problem is that you're confused about, he doesn't even have to speak about that. If you just hear his voice, it calms your heart. And, and suddenly you see things differently and you, and you say, oh, okay, God, all right, still don't know what we're going to do with that, but I know everything's okay because you hear his voice. 
And, and so Peter, he's not, he's not there yet at this point. He's just living with some confusion. Second thing about Peter was he was discouraged because this one that was his friend, that he loved more than life itself, whom he believed was Messiah, has now been taken captive and is being held captive and being tortured and questioned by the religious leaders of the day. And Peter has seen him over and over and over again either evade the religious leaders or uh, just humiliate them in front of crowds because of his wisdom. And so this is terribly discouraging now to see that this one he had total confidence in has given up without a fight. And, and now not only has he given up without a fight, which is confusing, but it looks like this is the end. It looks like this is the end. You know, later in Luke 24, two of the disciples see Jesus walking on the Emmaus Road. Wilson preached about this a few weeks ago. And when, when they see him on the Emmaus Road, they say, uh, they, they say to Jesus, they don't recognize that it's Jesus. But, but he says, what are you talking about? And he says, you, know, you haven't you been here? Don't you know what's happening? And we all thought he was the Messiah. And so they're just disappointed because they thought he was the Messiah. And so there's discouragement in Peter's heart and mind. And that's another time that we really come open to attack is when we're discouraged and when we embrace discouragement. But, you know, this whole idea of, um, of Peter's dream of Jesus being the Messiah apparently coming to an end. That's what it looks like. It's apparently coming to an end right now. It's over. But God often brings us to places in life where it looks like the dream that we had is over. And it looks like the, it looks like the thing we'd set our hearts on and we'd fasten our hearts on and we were looking for and we were certain God had for us. It looks like that's done, it's dead, it's finished, it's over. And yet there are times that God does that. He does bring us to places like that. And there's a purpose in it that he has. And one of those purposes is just simply to nuance and refine and align our thinking more with his. There are times there's something that he perfectly has for us, and it's going gonna, it's gonna to come to us, but it looks like it's not. And somehow through that struggle, he is able to refine for us, uh, he's able to refine our thinking and align our hearts more with his in the process so that when we do receive it, we're receiving it in the way he wants us to and with the heart that he wants us to. And there are other times that the very thing that he wants us to have and, and we know he wants us to have it, and we're going after it, and we think this is it. And he said, yeah, I want you to have something like that, but that's not it. I, I'm, I have something very much like that for you, but that's not the one. That's not it. I experienced that in probably 1997, uh, 98, when we were uh, on staff at the church in Champaign, and the agreement there was that when I went on staff, I would be there for two years or so, to lo- went there to learn about how the Holy Spirit operates and the gifts of the Spirit, but that then I would go out and, and be a senior pastor again. And this was four years into that, and there were no, no vineyards had opened up, just no opportunities, and this opportunity came up in Greensboro at, at a really nice church, and Lori and I went down there and visited and got along with them all really well. And everything looked like great. We're going to be moving to Greensboro, North Carolina. And um, very excited about that. And then, like, at the very last minute, the head of the search team called me. And he said, he said you know, I have some bad news. He said, we, we met this guy two weeks ago at a conference. And he fits us perfectly. 
And his vision is identical to the vision of the church. And mine wasn't. If I had gone there, I would have drawn things in a different direction. They knew that. I knew that. But this guy fit perfectly. And as he described him to me, I thought, yeah, that he does fit perfectly. And that's smart of them to, you know, to call him there. I think that's God's leading. Nevertheless, I felt like God had just ripped something out of my hands. I felt like something, something I had set my heart on, something I was just so set on and I wanted so badly was gone. And I went through a week of just this real serious sense of darkness. I wrote in my journal things like, God, you talk a good talk, but when it comes right down to it, you don't come through and stuff like that. Fortunately, God's very patient. <laughs> you know, he's very patient and kind. And it was at the end of a week, that week I was sitting in a, in a house group and we were worshiping. And I don't know what happened, but in just one half of a second's time, my, everything flipped. And, and as we're worshiping, I just thought, wait a second, why am I thinking this way? If this is not where God has for me, then he has something else for me, for us. And you, you can always know that if this is not what God has for you, he has something else better for you. If we'd gone to North Carolina, we wouldn't be here. We wouldn't have had the joy of planting this church and seeing it grow and seeing people who are willing to come out even on a snow, uh, snow emergency level two or whatever that means. I don't know. And so sometimes we see the death of something and God's just saying, nah, you know, yeah, that, that's not it. This is it. Pretty close, pretty similar, pretty identical, but a little bit of difference there. And this is it. This is what I have for you. And then I think sometimes God does that just to emphasize with us that it's all his. And, and when we get a dream, or when we have a vision and we believe God's in it, it's very easy for us to start to hold on to that as if it's our own. Okay, God, you told me I'm going to get that then. Then I grab it. And, and, I, and I just get, get a bear hug on it. And it's tighter and tighter and tighter. And, and God wants to say, yeah, I have that for you, but not until you're willing to release it. Not until you can hold it like this rather than like this. And, and when we can come to the point that we can say, okay, oh God, it's yours. I remember one Sunday morning when uh, probably 2009 or so, down, standing down here worshiping and um, the place was busting uh, wide open with people and worship was powerful and um, not where we are today with the Holy Spirit and, and I'm so thankful we are where we are today. But God spoke to me and said, it's mine. Just as clear as day, just those two words, it's mine. And that humbled my heart because I had to say, okay, God, this is all yours. It's not mine. And sometimes that's all God wants to do when we come to this point that something is, um, that we thought was ours is being held back from us. Peter was struggling with insecurity and Satan attacked him when he was in a place where he would just by nature feel insecure and out of place. So Peter, Galilee was considered the backwoods area. It would be like being from, um, where were the Dukes of Hazard in, in Kentucky? Hazard County. It'd be like being from Hazard County, I suppose. No offense to anybody from Hazard County. But um, it was the backwoods area. And Peter was a fisherman. So he wasn't even like any type of a scholar or a, or a person of standing, even in his own community. And yet here he is in the courtyard of the high priest. And it says in the other gospel, he was sitting with the officers. 
not just the rank and file soldiers, there are, they are there, but the officers are there and Peter is there. And I want to say once again, that guy had some courage. He had some real nerve. He was willing to put it on the line physically his whole life. Here it is. If they, if they, if they come after me, uh, you know, that's, that's okay because I've got to be close to Jesus. But he didn't, he didn't anticipate what was going to happen. And he's, he's there feeling out of place. Already, I remember a time a few years ago, Lori and I left church and we went down to a Reds game and we bought some tickets out on the street and went in and just this torrential downpour happened and um, everybody, not everybody, but half the people left the stadium and we stayed and um, while it was pouring down rain, we just stayed for an hour, hour and a half waiting for the game to restart and we were just exploring the stadium and we found a door that was open, walked through it. Go down the hallway, find another door that's open, walk through that. And we're just exploring places we shouldn't have been. And <clears throat> then we came out into this area that was the type of seating area where they have servants that come and serve you food. You know? So Lori, Lori's from the east side of town. She grew up in, you know, used to stuff like that. I grew up in a very small town. <laughs> Is that okay that I said that? Yeah. Well, she, she had tennis lessons from a Wimbledon champion once, so that tells you something. I grew up from this small town, which I am so thankful for. It was a wonderful place, still is a wonderful place, and learned a, a really great, so many great things there. But I wasn't totally comfortable in that level of seating where they come out and serve you knowing that I hadn't paid to get there. And so Lori just says, oh, let's sit down. Watch the game from here. Because the game was just restarting. And so she sits down as happy and confident. And it, it has something to do with her natural confidence too, okay? But I'm sitting there the whole time looking around, wait, waiting. You know, when are they going to come and get us? When are they going to come and tell me? They're going to look at Lori and say, yeah, you belong here. This guy, who let this guy in? I mean, that was hard for me. I didn't enjoy it. I have to believe that's how Peter felt. That's how Peter felt. He's there. He's out of place. And he's sitting with the officers. And then you know what happens? Something he never, ever expected. It would have been okay. Peter would have responded if one of the soldiers had come up to him with a sword drawn and saying, you're one of his followers. I saw you out there in the garden when we captured him. He had a response for that. But when that little servant girl came up to him, and said, hmm, aren't you a Galilean? You know what, he, he was just trying to dismiss her. He wanted to just brush her aside. No, just you know, swat her like a fly and she's gone, and so he can get back to focusing on the real threat. He didn't see the threat coming. He didn't know, and, and you know, I, I thought about this. What if, what if Peter had said yes, and she would have said, tell me about him, I've heard so much about him. And he could have said, oh, have you ever seen this picture? Jesus at the door. <laughs> so he gets up and he moves. She follows him and she starts telling other people around. Yeah, he's one of his followers and he denies it again. And then, then Satan has him right there because then he ups the ante and the other people around start saying to him, You're one, you have to be one of his because you're Galilean. 
And why would a Galilean be here? I mean, that tells you right there, Peter was out of place. And at that point, he curses. And and I'm sure he wasn't being quiet when he cursed. He cursed loudly, said, I don't know him. I don't know him. And he's cursing. And Luke's gospel tells us this, Luke 26, 61. That just at that moment, they were taking Jesus. It doesn't say this. But it, it, this, this is what had to have happened. They were moving Jesus from one room to another, and he had to walk across the porch, the portico. And he can see the whole courtyard. And right at that instant, when Peter is there cursing and saying, I don't know him, and the sun's rising and the cock's crowing, Jesus looked at Peter, and their eyes met. Peter recognizes right then. He, what a fool, what, what, how he had played the role of the fool by such boasting. And he recognizes right then that he had fallen, that he had denied Jesus. And it wasn't in the way he thought it would come, but it was, it was the way Jesus knew it would come. And so Peter, Peter, it says, goes out and he wept bitterly. So Peter has stumbled now. And again, I, Peter's a good guy. He's just like, like many of us, just a good guy. He wanted to do the right thing, and, but he was a little bit boastful, maybe a little bit proud of, 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 his, of his ability. And he did throw his friends under the bus as well as disagree with Jesus, but he was a good-hearted guy. He just wanted to do the right thing. He just had no idea what kingdom values were at this point in his ministry and his life. And he, he thought it was all natural. He just thought it's okay, this is what I'm, it's all natural. And, and yet... There was this process, Satan just led him through a step at a time until he hammered him with the, with the group saying, you're it, and him cursing and saying, I am not. And then his eyes meet with Jesus, and he is so convicted, he just, he just leaves and weeps bitterly. Now, if that was the end of the story, it'd be a pretty sad story. But, and I want to say this, there may be a time to mourn and grieve over a big thing like this. You know, when we have a big failure that we should have seen coming or we thought we saw coming or we never thought would happen, then there's a time for a season of grief in our hearts. Not because God is rejecting us or not because that sin is not already forgiven, but because the, the grief does something to bring us back to reality. And so he grieves. And the book of Psalms says that weeping may last for the night, but a shout of joy comes in the morning. And so Jesus restores Peter. He does that privately first. In uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 5, it says that the first apostle he appeared to was Peter. That had to have happened right after Peter and John went to the grave. And uh, he had already appeared to some of the women in, as, after he'd been resurrected. But right, right, Peter and John run to the grave, and there's, Jesus is not there. They see the empty tomb. And, it, and I, I suspect that's when it happened. On his way back, and John's young. He's running way ahead of Peter, younger than Peter, and, and more fleet of foot. And Jesus meets Peter, and there was a personal reconciliation at that point in time. So that he knew he was okay with Jesus. He knew that although he had, he had blown it like this, he's okay with Jesus. And then later, you read in John 21, where Jesus says to Peter, and this must have been somewhat confusing to Peter too, but he says to Peter in front of the other apostles, Peter, do you love me? Peter says, yeah, you know I love you. And Well, feed my sheep. And th- Peter, do you love me? Yeah, you know I love you. 
And then a third time, Peter, do you love me? You know I love you. And, and why do you keep asking me this? You know I love you. You know everything. What was happening there was Jesus was restoring Peter as part of the apostolic group. Because remember, he threw them all under the bus. And he said, oh, they might all fall. I never will. And so th- that, that public restoration was really important that Peter is not only restored to Jesus privately in that private meeting, but also publicly before these other apostles. And it was important for them to see too that Jesus was in a sense holding Peter accountable to taking a big step of growth right now. Okay, Peter, you blew it there. You did. But in the three times, do you love me? Are, are parallel to the three times he denied the Lord. And so the other apostles there, they would have thought, wow, uh, even Peter, Jesus is, Jesus is working his life right now like this and holding him accountable for this in a loving way, not like in a harsh way. But th- they would have the assurance then of restoration themselves if they stumbled. And, and you know, if, if Peter can do that, then I can be pretty secure in my relationship with Jesus and, and with these other apostles who are here with me as well. And when, I think what Peter eventually came to was just an understanding that apart from me, you can do nothing. Okay? Apart from me, you can do nothing. And when we really come to that as a rock, just, yep, with nothing. Nothing. Not something, a little bit, not halfway, and then the rest of the way you need me. It's not, well, okay, you do this, this, and this, and then if you get in trouble, I'll step in and I'll move it ahead or I'll save you from that point on. No, it's nothing. And, and so when we recognize that, then we take a big step ahead into our identity in Christ and into what it means to live in union with him. So it's a pretty powerful story that we have here. And I like this idea. Peter was a good guy, just like you and me willing to die just like like any husband here would be willing to die for his wife or children any mother here would be willing to die for her children in an instant he, that's the kind of guy Peter was he just didn't understand the depth of some of the things he was dealing with so here's one application I want to bring to us okay a very simple one but um, small things it happened it happened with small things a servant girl he didn't think a servant girl would, would, would count, I think. I think, well, that shouldn't count as one of the three. Brushed her aside. Have you ever done that? I've done this. I've had something irritate me. Maybe someone does something or doesn't do something or just something happens and it irritates me and I brush it aside. Ah, no big deal. But I don't deal with it. You know, there's a dealing with it. There's a, there's a, a way of saying, God... I don't like what just happened and do I need to talk to that person or is this something I just say, I'm giving it to you, Jesus. That's different than just brushing it aside. And so that's happened to me before where a little thing happens, I brush it aside, another little, oh, I'm too busy to stop and pray about this. That's yeah, no big deal. Another thing happens, brush it aside and then another thing happens all of a sudden, boom. It's big thing, even though it was just a small thing. And, and so... One of the things we have to realize is that, that Satan works on us that way through small things like body punch. If you're a boxing fan, body punch, body punch, body punch, knockout punch. And, and so we have to be aware of those small things and we have to deal with them. 
to bring them to Jesus. Okay, Jesus, I don't know what to do with this. I feel let down. Um, and sometimes we do need to go talk to the person and tell them, hey, I'm not mad at you, but I feel let down by that. And, and it makes me feel a little bit insecure as to what's going to happen the next time this comes up. Can we talk about it? That's, that's dealing with it sometimes. Sometimes it is just, uh, I just forgive them. They're having a bad day. You know, they've been, they've been, they've done, they've been so faithful and loyal. I don't even need to talk to them about this because I know it's just an aberration. Sometimes it's that, but you have to deal with it through Jesus. You, you have to recognize Jesus died to pay the sins of the whole world. And it says, God is not counting our sins against us. And if he's not, then I can't either. And so I need, to not, I need to recognize that, Lord Jesus, you died for this. I'm not going to count it against them. And, and, and so don't get caught by the little things because the little things become big things pretty fast. And when they do, and we falter, and we grieve, and we weep, don't let that go on forever. You've got to find someone to talk to that loves Jesus. You've got to tell them what happened. You've got to open your heart up. And say, look, I blew it, and I'm, I'm just heaping this, sh- I feel shame, and, and, and let them restore you. Let them, let them tell you, let them assure you of the forgiveness of God, and let them assure you of the acceptance of other believers. Because, you know, we all do blow it. And, and yet, if, if I continue to live in that sense of grief for long, what happens is what Luke was talking about at the beginning, my heart just becomes more and more cold. And my passion for Jesus just becomes less and less, less and less and less. And so don't, just don't live there, okay? Yeah, we blow it. And depending upon how sensitive your conscience is, um, that will depend upon. And, and I'm not saying good sensitive versus bad sensitive. Some people are born with just like a, a really sensitive conscience and they feel, they feel guilty over things they shouldn't. But, um, but, but don't stay there. Okay, the formula there is, if there's a formula, it is take it to Jesus and then take it to somebody else that's a godly person and get them to pray with you and experience the real forgiveness and restoration that the Lord has for you. Okay, all right. I'm gonna ask Wilson to come up and just lead us into a ministry time and draw our service to a close. Thank you so much. Give it up for that awesome message. Do you guys just want to stand up with me? We're just going to pray to end. Ask all the ministry teams, uh, all the prayer team to just make their way down quickly to the front so we can, we, we offer prayer at the end of every uh, service. Jesus is healing people constantly and we want to be part of it. So if you need healing in your body or encouragement or anything, please come down. But just put your hand on someone next to you. I just want to pray to, to end, end this morning. Yeah, Lord, thank you so much that you restore Thank you that you always restore us. But I pray there'd be just a a thing in our heart right now where we say, I'm always going to come to you when I need to be restored. I'm not going to let little things pass by this week without talking to you about them. Just imprint that on our minds right now. And I just pray grace on everyone in the room to be able to address little heart issues, little relational issues, and then to keep going. But through you, Jesus. We just commit to doing that through you, Lord. Bless everyone, keep them safe, make them dangerous to the to the devil today. In Jesus' name, amen. 
All right, we'll see you guys next week at 9.30 and 11.30, okay? And just so you know, Sockham and Prophetic are both happening tonight. Sockham classes and Prophetic 2 are both on tonight. And the high school service. Um, check out Alpha in the back. Please sign up for the Bethel Prophetic Rooms in the back. Last week to sign up for FPU.